my biggest lesson is work with people who are values aligned and the company's values align with you. And it makes the work that you do so much easier because then when you're in those situations where you have to take a risk or you have to make a judgment call and you don't have time to convene with others, you can feel comfortable that the heart of what you're doing is going to be aligned and you make fewer mistakes of a cultural nature anyway in that environment. Welcome to the HR LND podcast, where we explore cutting edge HR trends and best practices with top leaders who are shaping the future of work. My name is Nick Day, and I'm founder of JGA Recruitment Group, a specialist HR search firm. I'm also a qualified executive coach and a recognized HR thought leader listed on Thinkers360. Together, we're going to dive into topics from diversity and inclusion to technology, learning curation and employee experience to help you evolve your people and your development strategies. So whether you're a flourishing HR executive, a rising manager or a seasoned CHRO who's driving transformation, this podcast is for you. So grab your coffee and let's play. Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day. I'm CEO at JGA Recruitment Group and we're specialist global HR recruiters. And today I'm really excited because I'm joined by Anitra St-Hilaire, who is the Vice President of People at 3Flow. There she's focusing on driving organisational effectiveness through recruitment, something I'm really passionate about development, and of course, employee engagement. Now, Anita brings more than 15 years of senior level HR and people leadership experience to the show. In fact, she's an expert in growing and scaling companies, and she does that utilizing best-in-class people practices. And that's what today's show is going to be about, really honing in on best-in-class practices for people professionals. Now, Anita is also a passionate advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And prior to FreeFlow, she was the Vice President of Human Resources at Harvest and the Chief People Officer at Good Worldwide. In fact, prior to that, she gained deep HR experience across a multiple of different companies and roles with brands including Teach for America, Merrill Lynch, Deloitte and Procter and Gamble. So you're in really, really good, experienced HR hands today. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome Anitra St. Hilaire to the HR L&D podcast. How are you feeling today, Anitra? I'm doing great with that sort of introduction. I just need you to come speak for me all the time. <laughs> I would love that. That's not problem. I know it's early morning for you. I know you're stateside today. Um, so thank you for joining me today on, on this morning show for your side. Uh, let's start with the first question I ask all of my guests, which is this. What do the words human resources mean to you? It's such a funny question. Um, we laugh here sometimes when I will colloquially refer to myself as you know head of HR, so people kind of know what I mean because they're more familiar with the term. But I, I don't love it. We are resources of the company. Every single person is a resource of the company. But when you think of human resources as opposed to financial resources um, or other resources of that sort, I just think of them in a different class. And so. I understand the term. I know why it exists. It feels like an older way of looking at the function. Uh, and instead, that's that's why I'm head of uh, people and not HR, is I think the human part of it is so key and different than how we treat other, quote unquote, resources of the company, that it's, it's not my favorite term, but I get it. Yeah, no, you know what? Me neither. And I, I really love the way you put that. And we're seeing a really good evolution here, moving towards more titles that are, are more people orientated. In fact, you yourself, you've held several roles, including Chief People Officer, VP of People as you are at the moment. What, what's some of the lessons then that you've learned 
as you sort of led those functions, both actually, I guess, even in your own evolution, coming through the world of HR-based titles into the world of people-based titles? I know, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is particularly when you're in a leadership function, it's incredibly important to be aligned with the values of the company and to believe that the leadership around you is also aligned. The work that we do as uh, people professionals is so deeply rooted in culture and making sure that a place where people are working is a place where folks can do their best work. And in order to do that, I think it's really important to make sure you're able to demonstrate and live into and help others live into the values that the company has. And when those values don't align with who you are personally, you spend a lot of time not able to act sort of on instinct and act naturally because you're trying to live into something that isn't who you are, or you're doing it with people who don't feel the same way about values as you do. And then you're trying to figure out how can you be successful in this world where you're constantly clashing heads from a values perspective. So I'd say the biggest lessons I've learned is to really take time when you're finding an opportunity and then starting a job. Is this a place where people are who they say they are? Is this a place where the values that they talk about are actually things that they're living in their day-to-day work? Do you see the values being celebrated and people being promoted on them? And do you see a lack of values being punished for lack of a better term? But if you see people, you know, brilliant jerks who are getting promoted, even though that they they don't meet the values of the firm, but they're doing such a good job, we're going to keep them anyway. Uh, those kind of environments are very hard for me as a people leader. And so my biggest lesson is work with people who are values aligned and the company's values align with you. And it makes the work that you do so much easier because then when you're in those situations where you have to take a risk or you have to make a judgment call and you don't have time to convene with others, you can feel comfortable that the heart of what you're doing is going to be aligned and you make fewer mistakes of a cultural nature anyway in that environment. I guess that's some of the challenge, right? I mean, you talked there about the the, the essence of what, what it means, but people are really complex in, in terms of all that. I know from the recruitment <laughs> yes. side of things, right? Um, for once of a better way of putting it, we sell people and people are way more complex than than a, you know, an item like an iPhone, which can't talk back or can't change its mind or can't, you know, doesn't have different kind of values or needs that need to be need to be looked after. But when you're looking, you know, in a chief people role as you are at the moment, or senior people role, it's really complex because people, you know, we have a consciousness, we have loads and loads of thoughts going through our minds, the thoughts can really impact the way that we're feeling at work, we've got to kind of mm-hmm. marry all these things together to create harmony. With that in mind, what are some of the really big challenges that you've had to overcome to, to create an aligned culture, to create values that that everyone is bought into. So when I think about sort of this diversity of of thought and opinion, and even on a given day, you know, I can be in a great mood and that's one one version of Anitra, and then I'm not in a great mood and that there's a second version. I think about some of the underlying pieces of, of, of what that means. So even when I'm in like my most awful day, there are a certain set of things that I think people need to operate well, uh, a sense of empathy, um, an idea that I'm going to give you uh, not really the benefit of the doubt, but a term that uh, we used at Teach for America, generosity of spirit. Um, am I going to give this person the best of what I have in this in this moment? A phrase I use uh, often at work is, what would a rational person, like, why would a rational person be doing this thing that they're doing? 
And when people come, they can be very upset, very angry, but reminding myself, like, this is a, a rational, smart person who's in an emotional state. What reasons can I think of that a rational, smart person would do that would lead to these behaviors? And I think having these little frameworks for myself to think about when I'm in these really tough situations has been has been helpful, right? Remembering that in this tough time when you've got a bunch of different people asking you for things and they're not the same thing, what is the core underneath all of this? What are they trying to get at? Is this really a need for belonging? Are they feeling like they're not in a good place right now? Or is this someone who's really focused on significance and status? And is this somebody who needs to be seen? And when you can kind of get at the heart and ignore some of the noise and, and separate that noise out and really get at the heart of what someone is needing or fighting against, it makes it a little bit easier to engage. And so again, approaching it with this generosity of spirit, approaching things with a level of empathy and asking myself, if I believe this person is not trying to hurt my feelings, why might they be approaching things in this way? Mm -hmm. uh, and then really trying to look at the underlying mo motivation. What is it that this person needs in this moment? Uh, and that has helped me get through a number, a number of challenges. Uh, it's complicated. And sometimes I make the wrong call. And then maybe that's the last thing. Something that can help you get through a lot of challenges is being able to acknowledge when you've done the wrong thing uh, and, and say sorry for it and then try to make things better. Sure. I mean, you're only human as well. I, I think it's really interesting you, um, you highlighted some things there because often people do react and say things and, and, and do certain things. And that's really just the symptom. It's, it's underneath what's caused that. And actually, sometimes, particularly in people roles, senior roles, you get the brunt of it because that's the point where they've it's escalated to such a point where someone says something or does something that's probably a little bit out of character. There's all the things that have got underneath that, like you mentioned, maybe they didn't feel like they could bring themselves to work. Maybe there is something going on at home or other challenges we're not aware of, but we just get the last bit of that. And we think, okay, I love the way you think about sort of, you mentioned it, taking a step back and thinking about how they are feeling. You know, if I was, there's a, there's a, there's a great saying, um, I'll probably get it wrong and, and <laughs> apologies for that. But if you really want to understand how somebody else feels, you need to, to you know, take some steps and, and walk in their shoes. Right. And to do that, we've got to remember to take our own shoes off first. So that's, that, I think, the idea of you saying there, you know, really trying to get to what they might be thinking rather than just my initial reaction to a situation I can imagine would be really, really powerful. For you, though, Anitra, you have a senior leadership role as a female in the tech industry. And I know from the work that I do in recruitment, that's quite rare. Sadly, it shouldn't be. But we still know, particularly within STEM subjects, there are not enough female leaders coming through. From your perspective, what's been the biggest challenge for you establishing yourself in, in, in the tech industry? Um, and what do you think is the challenge for other HR people leaders who perhaps have motivations and aspirations to do the same? Oh, I like that question. And, and that one I feel... I, I can certainly answer from my perspective. I think one of the things that has been helpful for me to learn over the years is my my empathy, my sensitivity, the feelings-based person that I am is not a liability. Uh, I started my career in, in finance and in that environment, particularly in the time I was coming into the workforce, a lot of that was about, my success was about fitting into the mold of something other than what I was. Uh, mm. When you're working in investment bank, uh, that there is a, when you think of that very stereotypical investment banker profile, it's not necessarily someone who's super empathetic uh, and so thoughtful. It's 
get things done, get them done quickly, uh, a more ag aggressive, not even assertive, but like ag aggressive uh, self-promotion. And I spent a lot of time in my younger years trying to fit into that mold and doing what I could to be seen as successful based on the models of success that existed. What I've understood, and I think times have also changed and evolved a little bit, uh, and it's part of the reason that I'm in startup worlds and not working in, in banking as a field, um, has been there is strength in having a lean towards empathy. There is strength in having uh, this people-focused value set that I bring to an organization and helping organizations understand that it's not all touchy-feely, right? I have a solid business understanding, and I think that's critical and important for any sort of people role, making sure you understand the business and can talk credibly about the business uh, and, and come to the table as a business partner, not just the person who has the people lens, but the value of being able to see things from a people perspective and having had that experience of, I've seen this before and I know what that's like and I can bring this to bear. I don't have to be right all of the time, but I do have to have, I do think that I bring a good sense of, here's what could happen. Here's a, a perspective you may not be thinking about and helping my team see the value that that has and making better decisions. And again, sometimes my intuition is off um, but that's why I'm working with others who are bringing a different perspective. And usually we can come to some pretty good um, decisions. And so with that, I would say for people younger in their careers, really thinking about what it is that you bring to the table, the strengths that you have, and then finding ways to bring those strengths to the table in a way that doesn't completely devalue who you are. Um, and, and being able to talk about, I can be very assertive about my thoughts and I don't have to be just aggressive as, as using my investment banking example, right? I can go in and say, based on my experience, here are the things I know to be true, as opposed to what I was doing a lot of times in my younger career is this is, this is the truth because that's what everyone is saying. My idea, here's what I want. And that was just never natural to me, but I, I found these little ways to sort of bring who I am bring a clear assertive point to it, have people see me as credible. And that starts out again with know your business really well, because then when you talk about things, people don't see you as this, you know, bleeding heart person who's coming to the table and all she cares about is people. Now I care about the business. One of the things that I have to remind myself of is I'm here for the company and the company exists of managers and the people, but I'm not here for either of those entities solely. I am not here just for the people. I'm not here just for the managers. Uh, I'm here for the company and wearing that hat of, this is what I think is going to be really important for the company to remember. And then I can put my hat on of, this is what I think is really important for the managers. And the hat of, this is what I think is really important for the rank and file individual contributors of the organization. And this is what I think is important to me as a human and as a person who works here. Being able to say those things, again, for me, has helped me bring a lot more of the heart to the table while still making it clear and helping people understand that I have the business in mind as well. Did that make sense? It does. I have to, I mean, hopefully the listeners ain't the same. I'm, I'm fascinated and really enjoying your use of language in the words you're choosing in your responses as well. Words like heart and, and diversity and different perspectives and yeah, for me, it's resonating, and I hope it is for my listeners as well. Something that, that hit me, um, and it's probably a, a question that's too big for today's show, 
You mentioned, in, in, as a recruiter, look at your profile, Anitra, it, it suggests to me that you've you know, excelled everywhere you've been. If we take that banking, investment banking example, where you felt that actually, you know, I, I you almost conformed to the way that they did things by being more direct and making sure it worked in that culture until you realised that culture wasn't for you. Makes me wonder how many other people in that culture actually believe in it either. Just that everyone mm. believes that's the way forward. So everyone's being direct because they everyone else is being direct. And in reality, behind the scenes, if you spoke to everyone individually, you'd probably find they all hate that culture. But they're all doing it because the other person's doing the same. You kind of reference then different perspectives and how it's important to get different angles and different viewpoints and having diversity of thought so that if you are wrong on something, you've got those peers and those like that support network that can help, you know, challenge your thinking and get you on the right path. For years and years, hundreds of years, people thought that the, the earth um, sort of planets revolved around the earth. And then suddenly someone came up with a new perspective and said, maybe they go around the sun. Whoa, but and suddenly it changed everyone's thinking. And we need to be able to challenge right. these things because sometimes what we think is true often isn't until someone does raise their head above the power pit and challenge something. And it seems to be that's something you've been able to do very successfully in your career by, you know, by the environments you've been in and through the challenges you've, you've overcome. One thing I would love to know then, sort of taking this a level further, for those listening to this that are aspiring to get to the level that you are at in your career, what are some of the best in class people practices that you would be recommending people start to adopt in what I would term this new world of work, this post pandemic world, which is a lot more remote based, which is much more focused on employee well-being and different ways of, of remunerating employees and making sure they've got that balance back. From your perspective, what would be the best in class practices you'd be recommending that people start to, to, to think about? I think it starts with asking people, and I know that's really simple and nothing new, but this idea of asking people through surveys, engagement surveys and the like, but asking them about things you are willing to do something about is maybe the the piece that I think is best in class. One of the things I've experienced in my life is give me your ideas about all the things. And what happens is when people give you their responses and they tell you what they think and you realize half of the things that they're telling you are things you're absolutely unwilling to do uh, and you probably should never have asked the questions in the first place is important. I don't mean that you need to tailor your questions only to things that would make you look good as an employer. That's It's not in that spirit, but it's in the understanding that there may be a ton of things that come out of those surveys that you're not willing to do things about, that you don't believe you should do anything about, that you can't do things about. And being thoughtful in how you ask the questions and how you talk about the surveys and what you'll do with that information. Um, so maybe a little more plainly put, being clear that, you know, we have limited resources right now. And so we're not going to be able to add a lot of new programs, but we're interested in your ideas about X, Y, and Z. So we can start thinking about as we plan for our longer term plans, we want to have this stuff in mind. Or it could be something like, you know, we have a really diverse group of people working here. And so when we think about benefits we want to offer, we're thinking about things that can apply to everyone because maybe that's an organizational value. We want to make sure that every benefit plan we have is something that everyone here can use. And so really specific um, ideas, of course, we welcome them, but we're really looking for ideas that everyone can use. And being able to frame things in a way where people 
understand that they're what they're going to be telling you, their opinions and their thoughts are valid, but they also know where they might go. One will help because they'll know the kinds of answers to provide, right? It doesn't make sense for me to tell you about this one particular doggy daycare that exists only in my mm-hmm. town. Um, I, yeah, I'd like that, but it's that's not going to make the, make the cut. But also it allows you to come back to them and say, here are all the things that you said, here's what we're not going to do and why, and here's what we're going to take on and move forward. And so the first thing is asking. And then what I just said, the second piece is following up uh, and making sure people know that they're heard. And you did something about um, what was heard. And I think in this remote world, particularly, I've been working remote for over 10 years now. I'm never going back into the office. Asking people and, and making that a regular habit is really important because you're not sort of hearing the word of the people in the office. And when you stop by their desk, you have to be a lot more intentional about that. I think the second thing is documenting as much as you can. Uh, In particularly, again, in remote worlds, you can't just grab someone and ask them a question. Even in the world of Slack, people are busy and people work all different hours. You know, you and I are in very different time zones right now. uh, And we won't always have the opportunity to hop on the phone and talk. And so this idea that, People should be able to access information and access the truth about something becomes incredibly important. And so organizations really moving towards asynchronous communication as a not nice to have, but a a standard. And it's not just your policies and procedures, though those things are very helpful, but decisions that are made. You know, a lot of times you can have a conversation that happens in Slack. Uh, and people are making a decision. And then that exists in the little direct message that exists between two people. Going back somewhere and marking that down so that the folks who weren't online or who weren't part of a conversation can have access to it, uh, I think is really important, that asynchronous piece. And then I'd say the third thing is, uh, and I'll go back to values. I know it's a thing I say a lot, but it's just, it's been so powerful and important to me in my career, is building checkpoints and rituals into your organization that help people stay aligned and remember where your values are. Because at the end of the day, if your values can't help you make better decisions, then they're probably, you need to rethink them. Um, But making sure that your values are aligned with the decisions that you're making, I think is a best practice in and of itself, because then people know that the company is sort of walking their talk. Yes, walking the talk. Uh, And so that's things like we have a channel in our Slack room, which is just high fives and people go in and they talk about this person uh, grow together is one of our values. And this is how this person exemplified that people being seen and celebrated and recognized for doing things in line with our values. When, When that's so front and center and it's a daily, we see these kudos daily, a remembrance of this is a place where we care about these things. And this is a place where it's important to live these values. I think that kind of behavior can, again, help people act in the best interest of the company and the people within it. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. 
Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. I still loving your use of language. You talked about people being heard, people finding their truth, celebrating successes, which is something we, we, we I mean, I think you use a slightly different term for it, but something that we don't do enough of in, in the world of work. It sounds to me like the people who are uh, that you're responsible for in, in your role uh, are very lucky, Anitra, with the way that you view the world, which is fantastic. But there's a challenge, though, that particularly here in the UK, and it may be slightly different in the US, but for, I think over 80% of the HR leaders that we surveyed last year, uh, so it was about six, seven months old now, the study, we surveyed our HR leaders and asked them what their biggest challenge was. And they said that actually talent, finding talent, retaining talent was, was one of the you know, mm. 80% of that's the biggest challenge. So with best in class, perhaps is still in mind. And with this involved of remote work, and you mentioned you've been remote working now for 10 years, and we're now, hard, you know, companies are hiring talent all over the world. What are you doing? Yes. You talk about like being like doggy daycare as an example. It's only relevant if that's something that's relevant to that individual. If you don't have dogs or don't even like dogs, that's not going to be something that you're interested in. So how are you handling the world of compensation um, in relation to attracting and retaining talent now and, and, and sort of overcoming that, that competition for talent? This is such a hot topic in all of the HR forums that I'm in right now. We're We're still trying to figure it out. So when I think of compensation, there's the, the the pay that you receive. Uh, and from that perspective, given the business that we're in, most of the people we have are based in the US. Uh, and we are thinking about our compensation in a tier perspective. So if you're very expensive cities like um, San Francisco or New York versus a rural town, maybe somewhere in the middle of uh, Iowa. Um, and those roles right now, we've got, um, four tiers and within a certain job, you'll be paid at tier one if you live in a certain place and tier two, if you live in, you know, we've got like 20 or 30 cities in that tier two ranking. And that works for now, but it's something that we're constantly thinking through because as the market changes, the way compensation I think ideally should work is you look at the market of people that you have working for you. And then what what does that market demand and you pay that price. The question has really become the what's the market now, right? If I don't need a person living in San Francisco, do I need to pay San Francisco rates? Or am I really looking yeah. at the US or the world? And also, so that's that's one facet of it. But the other is being realistic. Um, I don't want to say no one in San Francisco can work here because they won't be able to afford if I'm only paying uh, rural prices for a role, then I'm never going to get anyone in any of the big cities. And maybe that's okay, but it's it's a different, the world doesn't become your marketplace in that world. Uh, either you're going to be overpaying, which is a financial consideration very significantly, if you're set up to pay ninth percentile for any role anywhere, uh, or you're going to be missing some potentially great candidates because you can't afford them. And so it's this yeah. constant balance of thinking about for this particular job, What's the space we're looking at? How do we want to think about uh, compensating fairly? Because it's not just like getting them in the door. There's the idea if someone moves, then how do you handle that? And it's always great if you're moving from, you know, Iowa to San Francisco, and then you want to make more. But if you're going to move from San Francisco to Iowa, nobody wants to have their salary decreased when you make sure. that kind of move. But one of the things that's very uh core to me from a values perspective is this idea of equity and, and, and fairness. And, you know, if 
if it works one way, it should work the reverse too. If that's what you're basing your salaries on is location, then when you move locations, then you should be reassessing salary. And so that's just become a very tricky place to be. But I think it starts with identifying what are your, what's your like principles around compensation and what do you believe? And I think it's fine to say, we pay everyone the price we would pay someone doing this job in Los Angeles. That is our company philosophy. Now, someone can opt into, yes, I agree with this, I understand it, and I'm fine with this as being the the, the plan, and then I know what I'm getting into. Or mm. you can have a philosophy that says, we're going to base it based on your zip code. Um, no one would do that because it's just too complicated. But we, you could, again, letting people opt into that, knowing what your philosophy is, is, is the core of how you make those decisions. And so I say all that. Yeah, so being really highlighting the communication piece, right? Either option can work. That's correct. Communication right. Let That's me take correct. It a level, take it a level further, and this may be slightly more challenging again. What about people that want to create a benefits package that aligns with the company values, but also, and bringing in your dog walking example from earlier, also aligns with the employee values, especially when, as you've just mentioned, you know, particularly if you've got a remote workforce, some people may be based mm -hmm. in... Iowa, some may be based in New York, they're going to be coming from different places, have different backgrounds, different requirements, different potential, different, different values. How do we how do we align a benefits package that, that brings all of those things together? Is it even possible to do so? I think it's possible to try. Um, and that's something I feel pretty passionately about. Uh, when I joined uh, 3Flow, one of the things that I did was we had a benefit survey. We asked people, so that's going back to an earlier question. We asked people what they thought about the benefits we had, what they wanted, why they wanted the things that they wanted. And then we took a step back as the executive team and wrote a benefits philosophy. And our philosophy has things like, we have to make uh, decisions that are financially responsible for the business. We have to do things that aren't going to put us out of money. Um, we want to really give people options, but we know that there are some groups of people that are going to be uh, that will receive great benefit if we provide the benefits to them. And we're while we want to have equity and we want every individual here to be able to have benefits that take care of them in case of a significant event in their lives, uh, we also know that parents, for example, when you have a child, we have to provide something very specific for you because of the benefit that you're going to be allowed that I can't I can't give that to everyone and everyone doesn't need it. But parents, we believe, need time off. And so we have 12 weeks of paid parental leave when someone adopts a child or has a child. And we think that's important. And so this philosophy really set off, here is why we make some of the decisions we make. We want to try and give everyone some base level of, of benefits. And here are the things that that's, that includes. We do have some specific populations of people that we are going to focus on. And here are the benefits that that includes. And we only have so much money. So while we would like to give a lot of things, here's here's what we can right now and how we made those trade-offs. And I think it was well, well received by the organization because they understood, here's what I'm getting as a, as a baseline and everyone is getting this. While they might not agree that parents, it should be pets or it should be single people because I didn't, I didn't choose to have a family, so I should get a benefit. They just knew what our stance was on this. Uh, and it made it easy to understand. And then you can make a decision if you don't think that that's sort of the benefits package that you want, uh, then you get to take steps and 
find a benefits package that you want elsewhere. We haven't had anyone leave based on our benefits package, to my (laughs) knowledge, which is really good. Again, broken record, a lot of it just comes back to your values and principles. And so really being clear about from a benefits perspective, these are the things that we try to hold true for the organization and then acting on those things and being able to point back and say, here's why we don't have that because it doesn't fit into this. You know, it's not meeting these two principles or we had to make a trade-off between A and B and B had more of the principles or was more aligned with our principles than A. And that's how we made that call out Um, and telling people, you know, we want to do this thing too. And as soon as we're in a position, we're able to do this, this is next on the list to offer, I think has been powerful because oftentimes you just have benefits because everyone else has those benefits and you're just trying to keep up with the Joneses for um, lack of a better term, do what everyone else is doing. And I feel pretty strongly like that's a way to spend all of your money or do things that no one cares about. Like we could have all the cool ping pong tables delivered to people's houses, but if nobody wants that, then it's a waste of your time and money. Yeah, it can be disenfranchising actually to be given a benefit you don't need. And it can be really empathetic to, I think you've hired that really well. You know, you talked about it being a broken record of aligning things with values and behaviors, but they're so important now. And there's a lot of studies and research that suggests that companies that are able to align those things correctly have better um, retention and are, are able to attract more staff to their business. So there's, you know, there, there's a real business related performance reasons, uh, reason for doing these things. But I think um, what you've also emphasized there is the importance again of, of choice, the importance of communication. So people have choice. You know, when we communicate things effectively, that gives the, the employee or the individual the understanding that they have a choice in the situation. And choice is empowering and people like yes. to feel empowered. So I think all of those things are really, really important. Now, you mentioned just then, and I'm introduction to it as well, but you're obviously currently working at FreeFlow, and you're obviously your role there as Vice President of People. Now, for those not familiar, there will be a link in the show notes at freeflow.com, but you have a benefits placement platform. Uh, one of you could tell us a little bit more about your role at FreeFlow and what FreeFlow are doing, but also something I'm really keen to understand is how you've managed to build and maintain a positive workplace culture. And I think maybe you've given some of your methods away in today's show in terms of the individual that you are. But something that's interesting in terms of the way that you've done it is it's you're doing it within what is a, you know, a quite a, a rapidly scaling business. Um, and that must come with, with different challenges again. So it'd be great if you can give us a bit of a, an overview of, of Freeflow and how you've managed to, to maintain that positive workplace culture within that sort of scaling and scaling environment. Yes, I'm super happy to talk about that. I've been working here at Freeflow for about a year and a half. And I've been in this role the whole time, responsible for all things people, from attracting uh, people in the door to retaining them to helping them transition when they're ready to move on to something new. The organization's been around for a while, and we are the first benefits placement system, uh, really connecting carriers and brokers through our system that we've developed ourselves. And one of the things, so we have four values at, at 3Flow collaborating enthusiastically, constantly pushing boundaries, work with respect, and grow together. And you were asking about how 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 I create a positive culture, and I would say I don't. I help make sure that it's staying positive, but truly, uh, I believe it is our founders, our executive team, and the people that we've hired that are, are maintaining this culture. I walked into the door, and the, the founders and the executive team that existed at the time, um, we've since hired more people since I came, but I have been amazed at how well they've done the job of hiring people who were aligned with the four values that I mentioned. And 
it's a, a thing I usually say that they, they were who they said they were. This is a group of people who really believe in doing work smartly. We want to do amazing things. We want to really push the company forward. Um, but this is a group that operates with a great deal of empathy, uh, is very thoughtful about decisions and can make hard calls, even though those hard calls sometimes are, are hard. And there, there are impacts that happen that aren't don't feel good to people. And I think when you think about positive culture, it's like everything's great all the time. I'd say everything's great most of the time, but it is impossible to have a, a company culture that doesn't at times need to deal with stressful things or hard things or bad news or, or negativity. And I think those moments are when the organization sort of has to realize, wait, is this a good place to work even when things are hard? And one of the things I've been really impressed by is our ability to sort of work through those really tough moments uh, as an organization. And I think the way that we do that is uh, starts and maybe ends with the foundation of, of trust and doing what we say we're going to do, talking straight. There's a book, The Speed of Trust, that I refer to a lot because uh, it talks about the 13 behaviors of trust. And I know it well, Stephen Covey. Yes. Yep. Um, I love this book because it's a very tangible ways that you can demonstrate trust uh, in an organization that's willing to tell you the truth, that's willing to say, we didn't do this right and we're going to do it better next time. An organization that listens, right? We're, we're asking for your feedback and we're going to do something different as a result of it. The ability to sort of have that trust. And then, you know, sometimes we don't get things right. And being able to stand up and say, yep, we acknowledge that our that's my mistake. I shouldn't have done that. Or I, I meant to do this and I didn't, and I'm sorry. And here's how I'm going to make that up next time. I think has shown, I think it's shown the organization that we, we do want to be values driven people and values driven leaders. And I think part of the culture just comes from there. There's a level of trust and uh, that trickles down to the remaining people on the team. I think the other thing that we've done a relatively good job of is keeping various options open for people to engage and connect in the ways that they want. So I'm not a huge fan of every Friday is going to be happy hour because there are lots of people who don't want to drink. Friday's an awful day for me. I just want to be done with the week and go hang out with my kids, but instead providing different kinds of checkpoints. So we have game nights because some of us love to play games. Uh, we have something called lightning learning where people come and they spend 10 minutes talking about something they love. And that's not very interactive, but it's nice to come hear your colleagues talk about a thing. So you don't have to be involved. You can just go listen to a thing. Uh, we have monthly, let's talk about anything with our leadership team. And then you can go and ask questions about the business or about somebody's pets or about somebody's hobbies. But it's, it's really making these opportunities for connection, both work-related and outside of work, for people to engage and get to know one another and build relationships in the ways in which they feel comfortable. I'm super introvert. And so the hanging out and happy hour thing just doesn't, it doesn't work as well for me, but I love going to lightning learnings. I mean, I go to the happy hour stuff too, and they're not drinking. They're just hours of happiness. Interesting. I, I think the idea of having a happy hour for me, I, I struggle with it because I think um, terming something happy hour suggests yes. a state of mind. Not everyone's always in. And it puts a, an added pressure on people to be happy. And then we can't be happy all the time. I think you mentioned there that you're not going to get things right all the time. 
in your business. But actually, if you use Pareto's law, as long as you're getting things right 80% of the time, you're doing a pretty good job. And if you're learning from the 20%, the failures and the things and we're learning from both to make things better, then actually both both are successful modes of being um, that can improve your business. I think you've given um, so much valuable information. It's been a really, really fun conversation. I, think, I, I suspect we could talk for hours on this subject. And it's great to have someone with your with your background, your skill, your your experience, um, and each other joining us on, on today's show to, to talk about this in, in, in great context. And I hope it's been really useful for our listeners. We're going to open um, the HR L&D vault in just a moment, which are going to be some short, sharp questions for you, some quick answers. Just going to highlight to the guests that actually for those interested in the book that uh, Anish just mentioned, which is The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey, or indeed his second book, which is called Trust and Inspire. Um, I've actually interviewed Stephen twice on this show before. Let's have a look at some of our back episodes. And you can find um, a conversation between myself and Stephen Covey directly, where he talks about the power of trust in a lot more detail with me in a, in a really nice conversation. So do check those episodes out if you want to find out more. Uh, I think trust is arguably one of the most important uh, things we need to create in any business, any successful business. So I'm really glad mm-hmm. you brought that to the fore. So thank you for that. So we're going to open the HR L&D Vault. Opening the L&D Vault. Uh, first question is this, if you could give one piece of advice in each to the world, what would it be? Operate with your head, heart and hands. Love that. If you had the opportunity, what advice would you give to a younger you just starting out in this new world of work? There is power in understanding and dealing with emotions. Just, uh, I'm going to take this a little bit further just for you, because you are in that um, fantastic position where you've got, you know, managed to get yourself a seat at the table, something that many people and HR professionals aspire to get and sometimes feel unable sort of to get there. What advice would you give to younger people who do want to develop a career like yours and actually get us into the table? First, learn your business really well. That's that's the key to opening the door to other opportunities is know the business really well. Uh, you can learn HR skills. You can learn finance skills. There are a lot of paths to get to where you are, but ultimately what I think most executive teams and leaders need are people who understand the business and then can apply their learnings and their experiences through that lens of what the business needs to get done. Nice, nice. What's been the biggest challenge today in your career? Being assertive. (laughs) Being assertive. I have a very hard time owning who I am and and the things that I I know. Very honest. I I love that. Let me ask you the same question in reverse then. What were you most proud of? Being able to have people walk away from some really tough moments feeling heard and and seen and that can be really difficult so being able to to help someone get through really tough situations like being terminated losing a loved one and and having people walk away from those conversations feeling maybe not better because you don't always feel better but at, at feeling heard and seen i, I remember that, you know, one of the first words you mentioned on the show was the word empathy being an empathetic leader and that kind of comes that's come through throughout every question i think i've asked you and it maybe it'll come through again now my last question which is this uh, what is the guiding principle or behavior you see you've seen in every great leader that you've worked with a compassionate empathy kindness I, I know that's a mix of things but they're all sort of related love that i mean there are three answers that it's hard to argue with any of those three things compassion empathy and kindness fantastic well, if people want to find out more um, and want to connect with uh, with Anita and um, St. Hilaire, then I will put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes for those that want to find out and perhaps connect with Anita. I'll also put a link to the website, threeflow.com, for those that are interested in finding out more about uh, the first benefits placement platform. So do take a look at that, as, you, as, as Anita 
brought to the show, bringing uh, bringing people together and, and companies together. If you're interested in finding out more, do take a look at that website as well. And of course, if you are looking for any support in relation to talent, please do get in touch with either myself or any of my wonderful team here at JJ Recruitment. We specialize in recruiting HR and, and L&D professionals. And you can reach either myself at nick at jjrecruitment.com or our website, www.jgarecruitment.com. Just even say one final huge uh, thank you to Anitras for joining me today and what has been an absolutely fascinating, engaging, fun, and very, very insightful conversation into best-in-class people practices. I think it's been really, really valuable, Anitras. Thank you ever so much for joining me today. It's been, it's been my absolute pleasure. So thank you. Same here. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to bringing you everyone the next episode of the show real soon. That's it for today's episode of the HR L&D podcast. I hope you found this discussion informative and thought-provoking and that it gave you actionable insights to help you drive your HR agenda forward. Please remember to subscribe to the show so you never miss a future episode. And I'd also love to hear from you. So if you enjoyed this show, please do leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback helps me to ensure I can continue to bring you the topics and guests that matter most to you. Oh, and don't forget to share this show with your colleagues and fellow HR leaders as well. The more we spread the word, the more we can grow our community of HR professionals who I know are all as dedicated to driving the future of work forward as I am. Thanks, of course, for tuning in. My name is Nick Gay. Please do look me up on LinkedIn and send me a connection request. It would be great to get connected. In the meantime, I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the HR L&D podcast real soon.